Hello and welcome back to the Vintage Podcast with me, Lena Norms. Today we are asking, what if anyone could have a baby? We are dipping into the world of Helen Sedgwick's novel, The Growing Season. In The Growing Season, women have equality, or so it seems. The human race as a species has outgrown its own biology. With full life's baby pouch, women are liberated and men can share the joy of childbearing. We follow Holly, whose whole family know the benefits of full life's baby pouch. There are whole families, whole generations in the book that know the benefits of full life's baby pouch. But there are also those who don't believe that society has changed for the better because of them. And one character has uncovered a secret behind full life's glossy facade. The Growing Season has just been released in paperback and it was a perfect time for me to sit down with Helen and chat to her a little bit more about what a feminist dystopia slash utopia really means. Helen, thank you so much for coming into the vintage studio, um, my lovely red vintage basement, <laughs> to chat about books. Oh, it's great to be here. Um, I absolutely love The Growing Season. Um, I've been telling people about it ever since I read it. Uh, and um, I kind of love the premise of the book. Can you, can you, are you good at summarising the premise I of the book? Try. Because sometimes I like, try to explain to people. Like, so it's, like, <laughs> it's kind of like the future, but it's also the past because it's 2016 it's set in. Yes. Tell us a little bit about um, the premise. Um, Well, it's set in a world that is very similar to ours, but Mm. different because of a recent invention, which is a portable external womb. And this new biotechnology has sort of revolutionized society. um, And it appears to have brought about the equality that women have been looking for for such a long time. So there's. Um, Now, uh, men can share the experience of childbearing. Women are liberated from uh, having to be pregnant, having to give birth. The whole experience is much safer for women as well as for babies. And uh, society as a whole seems to be more equal now on the surface. <laughs> You're like, dot, 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 <laughs> dun, 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 but. Yeah, so we, we kind of join um, the story of, of that kind of scientific revelation a few generations on, yes. don't we? And there's this company called Full Life who are trying to kind of um, brand this this kind of scientific. They, they were the people that discovered it. And there's, there was one woman who mm-hmm. was the original Discover, discoverer is that even a Inventor. word can you tell i'm not of a science mind um tell me about like the kind of catalyst for the idea for full life and and the book in general like what made you think like actually this this needs to be explored in a fictional way as well as just scientific um well i was thinking and, and sort of talking with friends one night i can remember exactly where the idea came from and we're talking about why uh why women still don't have equality um particularly in terms of uh uh, of what happens to women's careers when they have children, why mm. so few women are at board level and in companies and things like that. Um, and of course, one of the main reasons is that women are still very much expected to be the primary caregivers. Mm. And it still hasn't changed. It's been the case for generations that it still yeah. hasn't changed. Um, and I, I said, well, you know, clearly um, we need some kind of biotechnology that is going to mean that women don't have to have the babies anymore because that will force society to recognise the fact that women are not the primary caregivers, that this is something that can be shared. Mm. Um, and with my own background in science, that I think we'll come on to in a minute, I was working as a bioengineer, so I knew a little bit about um, creating biological environments outside the body. So I could I could imagine this, uh, uh, the baby pouch, as it's called in the book, which is this external womb. It's very tactile. You can carry it on your body. It's very sort of friendly. And you can um, plug and music console. into it, which is something that I was like... Music <laughs> in. You can strap it on so and take it off it. as you need to. Um, you sort of feed the baby nutrients and talk to the baby and all that sort of thing. Mm. 
Um, so on this particular night, I, I got quite carried away. I thought, this is genius. Why didn't I invent this when I was actually working as a scientist? And then, you know, I could have won the Nobel Prize. Yeah. Um, very pleased with myself. And uh, I looked over at my friend, also a very strong feminist, and she just said, Helen, that's a horrifying idea. That's awful. Let's not do that. Um, and I thought, well, that's interesting, isn't it? You know, mm. two, two women, good friends, both very strong feminists, um, same age, and yet we have a completely different take on this technology. Mm. And I thought, I want to explore that. I want to explore all the different ways that this could impact women and all the different ways that women could feel about this technology. Yeah, because again, when, mm-hmm. when, when, you, when we look at each other and go, oh, we're all feminists, we've got the same mm. goal, but actually the route to that goal can have its own pitfalls and its so own... So much variety, isn't there? In, yeah. in fem- there's so many different versions of feminism out there, and I find that fascinating. Yeah. Um, and of course, in the book I open it, a famous one uh, that, that was in the news recently was the invention of something that they call a bio bag. So it's quite similar to a pouch. Okay. It's uh, Basically, it's a sort of plastic fluid, fluid-filled bag. Um, and it hasn't been used on humans yet, but it has been used on sheep. So they took a lamb fetus that, uh, that was very premature, um, that normally wouldn't have survived outside its mother, and they put it in this bio bag, mm-hmm. um, which includes a fluid which is sort of similar to the fluid that would naturally have been in the lamb's womb. Um, It is, uh, there's a, essentially, um, well, it's essentially a synthetic umbilical cord centre that they've invented. So that's attached to the fetus within this bag Mm -hmm. so they can feed uh, the nutrients in that are needed. They can um, feed in the oxygen um, and all that kind of stuff and keep it at the right temperature. Um, So this, this lamb was then gestated within this bio bag and it was born at the correct time. It was healthy. It was happy. It's now uh, alive. It's mm. uh, over a year old. Um, so this was a wonderful success story in terms of saving the lives of precariously premature babies. But, but yeah. Um, yeah so but... they say, the scientists who have come up with this bio bag say they are hoping to start clinical, th- clinical trials for human beings within three years. So this is not from the point of conception. This is at uh, premature babies. I think they said 20 okay. to 24 weeks, something like that. So precariously premature babies yeah. um, but very much uh, the emphasis on saving the lives of babies that would otherwise be be born too premature yeah. to survive really and I suppose that exists in that, sp- in that space in people's heads between an incubator yeah. and like you know artificial kind of yeah it's, exactly it's a negotiation between those yeah. two things makes us feel a bit more comfortable exactly it's, it's, it's a revolutionary type of incubator that will save lives mm. but the way they've the way they've designed it it's actually moving away from the sort of very solid incubator that you picture in a hospital now Mm. uh, closer towards the biological reality so they've made it work by sort of noticing what biology does and trying to incorporate those ideas hence being fluid filled and warm and and, um, you know with the the synthetic placenta and all of that kind of thing and then I suppose that that can um, does that make the scientific community uncomfortable? Do you think, or is it more just like us as like the civilians outside of science being like, oh, that sounds? Because I suppose that there's a lot of there's a lot of pride also associated with the idea of of um, giving birth to a baby and and like the kind of the hardship of it as well and how painful it is and and that mm-hmm. being a kind of more psychological bond to a child. So I guess people, you know, there's a, there's a it removes I think a lot as yeah. well as it gives a lot. I suppose. Well, Scary. yeah. I mean, yeah. It, I think different people will respond to it very differently yeah i would say within the scientific community this will be seen as as a life-saving breakthrough you know mm. i think it's a wonderful uh a, a wonderful invention and 
do bear in mind that these are babies who would otherwise have died. So yeah. it's not like we're saying to women, I'm going to steal your <laughs> yeah, baby yeah, from you. This experience away it's from you. it's yeah. life-saving. You yeah. know, it's an option that people have when all other options have run out, which is yeah. But of course, it's something that you could then imagine being used in other ways, which is what I do in the book. Mm. Um, and, and to briefly look at the other scale of that, of course, we look at IVF technology. Um, and I think it was in 2016, um, an embryo was kept alive up to, to 14 days in the lab for the first time. Um, and it was kept alive longer than ever before mm. by, again, looking at how biology does it and using some of that. So it was in, in a dish, not in a womb, and this time that it was, uh, it was fluid-filled. Um, they used a substrate um, that very closely mimics the substrate within the uterus so that the embryo would be very comfortable and would survive longer and be healthier. And that all worked really well. So again, both sides are looking at how we can, how we can borrow from biology, how we can better mimic the real biology in order to keep cells or, or a fetus alive, yeah. um, which is, well, you can see the similarity, you start to see that similarity. And the reason why that uh, embryo only survived up to 14 days is because legally they are not allowed to keep an embryo in the lab for longer. Oh, wow. Really? So it could have survived for longer. It was, uh, it was our ethics, not our science, that stopped that experiment. That's really interesting. So we don't know how much longer that, that embryo could have survived in the lab. And mm. suddenly you think, well, you know, if, if the law change and they're allowed to keep it longer, mm. you know, you can see how these two technologies are going to meet in the middle. Yeah. Fairly easily. You know? So we need to start having these conversations now, really. I exactly. Think, as, as a, you know, as a society, like what, what we, what do we deem as ethical, I suppose. Exactly. Because we're yeah. not remotely prepared for, for what this technology is actually going to mean for our society, I mm. think. Um, once it moves beyond life saving and starts to offer something, something else. Yeah. You know. Um, for example, the most obvious one for me is that um, once we can keep an embryo alive from the moment of conception, then um, what does that mean for mm. women's reproductive rights? What does it mean for abortion? Because essentially we reset viability mm. at conception. Yeah, because what and I liked a, in, the, in the book is that you you um, kind of planted these 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 more right-wing characters that were look quite heavily religious and we're mm -hmm. saying this wife well, we've got these bio bags then you've got no reason to have an abortion and that you know that feeling yeah. feeling like it was it was a kind of more liberal mm -hmm. um decision and, and it actually becoming yeah well yeah exactly uh, technology like this could be manipulated in all sorts of ways to mm. take freedom away from women it doesn't just liberate women it also potentially could be used to to control them yeah which is one of the things i wanted to explore in the book yeah um, but I, I, technology doesn't have to be used for good or for bad. You know, it's up to us how we use the technology. And to me, I think the technology is coming. So let's start talking about how to use it to help people yeah. and, and to bring about freedom, I suppose, and equality and the kind of life that people want mm. and good. make sure that it's not going to be manipulated. Yeah. Because I suppose if you if you run ahead with the technology, but you actually don't have the social equality, <laughs> then it, then that's how that's how those kind of horrible things happen absolutely how did you set about getting in the mindset of those those all these especially the women i suppose but the, also the men in in the book that you you know you must have your own personal feelings about about the kind of ethics of it but mm -hmm. but getting into the mindset of all these different perspectives how did you go about doing that um that's such a funny question because it's one that i sort of can't answer but it's also such yeah. a vital part <laughs> of the process um so i, I just sort of sounds really slightly enough mm. to say I become them but I, I sort of do just stick yeah. my way into their lives so mm. completely 
um, they become very real to me and I'm having arguments mm. with them and I'm having conversations with them when I'm in the shower and sometimes when I'm walking down the street, which can get embarrassing. Um, <laughs> but they just, I think it's why I write because I just yeah. love imagining this different point of view. Mm. Um, this probably I, solidifies never, your own one as well. A yes, bit. well it does, yeah. I've never been... I've never been someone who thinks, well, this is what I think and that's the end of it. Because mm. really, if you want to think something, if you want to believe something in a very informed way, you have to explore all the other options, don't you? You have to really try hard to believe something else, you know, mm. if you're going to be absolutely convinced in the opposite of that. Am I making yeah. any sense? No, that makes sense. Um, and again, and, you know, every, every opinion on this has to be explored thoroughly if we're going to make an informed decision. Mm. And that's also the kind of the advantage of it being fiction you know having those spaces to fictionally explore yeah. ideas without having, having to like personally commit to them in the real world is quite nice did any of the characters ever persuade you do you think if you're thinking yourself so much into their mindset did they ever <laughs> argue back and you're like hang on uh, they, they certainly argued back yeah. i would say i am less convinced that the pouch is a good thing now than i was when i started writing so okay. to some extent they have influenced me yeah mm. as i've learned a lot more about it and thought a lot more about how it could be misused Mm. Um, but overall, I think um, if I was offered a pouch, I would take one. I think that would be great, you know, yeah, <laughs> having been through a rather difficult uh, pregnancy and birth, I would uh, happily use a pouch. Yeah. Um, but I, yeah, I mean, I love different points of view. I always write these books with loads of characters with different perspectives on an issue. I think that's yeah. a huge part of why I write, you know. It's yeah. fascinating getting into different people's heads. Isn't that what makes human beings so interesting? That none of us are going to have the same opinion on everything. Yeah, definitely. There's no like <laughs> fixed point to write from either that you can, can kind of circle an idea rather yeah. than ploughing your way through it. Yeah. Um, and so often, I think, if you want to understand someone's point of view, you have to look back at that history. You have to look back at what has happened in their lives to make them that way. Mm. And when you do that, you don't you don't hate people, you know, you can understand them properly, yeah. you can see where they're coming from, even if you totally disagree with them, at least you can see where they're coming from as a human being, you know. Yeah, because I think the kind of, the scariness of disagreeing with somebody is not knowing how they got to mm. that conclusion and not being able Absolutely. to see and having this kind yeah. of, thought, which is becoming probably increasingly more vital yes. <laughs> as we go I, on, I totally <laughs> as we agree. march on as Britain. Um, <laughs> do, you, do you think your personal experiences, because when you'd finished the book, um, you weren't yet a mother and, and now mm. you are um, yeah. how do you think th things have changed for you like your interactions with the book and how you feel about it or um, I think my feelings about it did change as I was going through the pregnancy at various times um, there was depending uh, on the day yes yeah. <laughs> sometimes you're like give me a pound <laughs> there were moments when I really enjoyed it and I thought it was an amazing experience being pregnant and it, it sort of changed the way I felt about my body in certain ways mm. um and I thought I wouldn't have wanted to lose lose that experience. Um, there were also some aspects of it for me that were highly traumatic. Um, when I thought, I just need science to be a bit more a, a bit more evolved here, and a lot yeah. of this could have been made much much better for me. Mm. Um, I also uh, I ended up having an emergency cesarean section, so um, I didn't have the sort of natural birth, mm. um, which definitely um, made me feel more certain that any kind of uh, idea that natural birth is the way you achieve true bonding mm. is complete nonsense, actually. Yeah. Uh, I'm incredibly close to my daughter. I think she's amazing. Um, and I think it doesn't matter. However however you give birth, do it however you have to. Yeah. <laughs> and then bond with this human being that you've created. Mm. To me, that's what it's about. And even if that whole thing had been, you know, creating this human being in a pouch in an mm. external way, that doesn't change the fact that she's a human being. It's my daughter. And, yeah. You know, I would love her. 
So in a way, I sort of almost went full cycle of thinking, no, I want the pregnancy, and then thinking, oh, my goodness, so this is what can go wrong with a pregnancy. Yeah. And coming out the other end thinking, you know what, it doesn't even matter. Um, mm. Do whatever. Let's give people choice. Let's yeah. You can do it. Do it completely them. naturally. You can do it with technology. Yeah, because I suppose we um, still hold up on a pedestal this idea of natural birth, and it's linked to the kind of nuclear family and, like, how yeah, things should work yeah. out. And it's the same with, like, say, adoption. People mm-hmm. can really love, you know, there's no... Absolutely, yeah. Like, human bonds are a lot more complicated than really complicated and that's one of the things I wanted to put in with the pouch to show how parents are bonding with the babies in the pouch um, in this really beautiful way and Mm. and fathers as well and extended family and everyone gets to sort of feel the baby moving and and almost speak to it and sing to it and it's really I wanted that closeness to show that you can have that closeness through technology Mm. um, however you want to have kids you know yeah I wonder like were there any characters that you felt particularly close to or any that you particularly grappled with like ones that you were like oh um there's the main scientist uh he's a guy called james quentin he's Mm. one of the men in the book um in an in a way he's a scientist and i was writing it at times from the point of view of a scientist so he is closest i suppose to my own experience when i was writing the book because a lot of the women have had kids and i hadn't at Mm. the time Um, whereas he was very much from the the scientific point of view working in the lab and and so in a way I felt quite close to James Quentin. He's also a very problematic character. And I don't want to give any spoilers, but I'm going to tell you that at various points during the writing of the book, he was killed and he was alive again. He was killed off and he was alive again. He was killed off and he was alive again. I'm like, what am I going to do with this guy? <laughs> like, <laughs> part of me, I just, I yeah. really wanted to save him. Um, and sometimes, sometimes characters won't really let you do what you want with them. And yeah. he was, he was a character that I grappled with. Yeah. Um, Whereas some of the other some of the other characters, Holly, um, who's one of the she's kind of the matriarch of the book. She's mm. an old woman, and I just love her. And she just kind of wrote herself from, from as soon yeah, as I started down writing her. She's like, this is Holly. She's let's go. You know, I just <laughs> love her. She's so gutsy and feisty and just awesome. Yeah. Um. So she was probably the easiest character to write, actually. Yeah, that makes um, sense. It'd be yeah. interesting to know if that came through. I think maybe it did because Holly's I, I so feel sure like of she herself. Had, she had a really kind um, of bullshit. And yeah. I, what I liked as well is the kind of reality of the interactions between the characters. Yeah. E- Eva was, was again, like a character that I thought was really interesting, especially in the way she responded to other women. But her, mm-hmm. like, inheriting... She's somebody who's inherited a legacy of, of mm-hmm. campaigning against the pouch and how she, you know, navigates the world is, mm-hmm. is also... I don't know. I found it really, like, authentic and, like, yeah. Thank you. Yeah, she was one of my favourites as well. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of two... I suppose they're the two opposing sides of... Uh, two opposing sides of me not really that sounds like mm. all the characters are me whereas actually none of the characters are yeah. me at all but you sort of take bits of yourself and then you put them into characters and then they become whole people in their own right so mm. I think there's kind of evil on one side and Holly on the other yeah and they're kind of like all people maybe we all could have been at some point depending yeah. on what had happened to us yeah. in our lives and yeah, how we exactly. felt about things exactly um, brilliant well thank you so much for writing the book oh Alan. thank you very it's much absolutely brilliant oh Alan. that's lovely I uh, hope you all pick up a copy and read it because it's absolutely stunning <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to the Vintage Podcast. The growing season is available from all good bookshops if you would like to pick up a copy. Uh, Thank you so much to Helen for coming on the podcast. If you're looking for more bookish recommendations, big and small, broad or niche, you can follow us at Vintage Books on Instagram and Twitter where we are there waiting for your requests. Do share this podcast with a friend if you enjoyed it. And if you've got a little minute, do drop us a little review on iTunes or whatever platform you listen to podcasts on. 
keep reading boldly and thinking differently and until next time.